You're listening to Arc Radio Podcast. Assalamu alaikum everyone and welcome to Let's Talk About It. I will be joined by a panel of guests to discuss a social issue. We will discuss where we are at the moment with this issue, where we would like to be in the future, what challenges we face. We will also develop a roadmap of how we could potentially overcome these challenges and get to where we would like to be. So, assalamu alaikum to all the listeners and welcome back to our show, Let's Talk About It, where today our topic is uh, women and the mosque. So, my name is uh, Abad, I'll be your host today and I've got three uh, guests with me, uh, two in the studio and uh, one uh, we have uh, on the call. So I'll introduce my guest first. Um, uh, the first guest is Sister uh, Samina, and she is the Chief Executive uh, at Amina Muslim Women's uh, Resource. And we also have uh, Dr. Saira, and she's a GP, and also has completed the ISILVIS Advanced Course, is that right? And then she's also the Chair of Women and Mosques uh, Project, and we also have uh, Dr. Irfan, uh, who's joining us uh, online, and uh, he is an imam at one of the mosques in Airdrie, and he's also also a consultant psychiatrist, and he does a lot of other things as well, but inshallah, we'll uh, get into all that as we uh, progress with our show. So just as we start, if I could ask um, Dr. Irfan, uh, maybe just to, for the listeners that are out there, maybe if you could enlighten us a little bit about uh, the Islamic, uh, from an Islamic point of view, of women and the mosque. everybody. The the important point to highlight when it comes to the masajid is that masajid are the houses of Allah, and the Quran has very categorically and unequivocally mentioned that. Whoever stops people from the masajid is the zalimun. Anybody who prevents people from going into the masajid is among the zalimun. He is among those people who have crossed the boundaries, who have crossed the limits, and they certainly are doing an act of tyranny if they prevent anybody. And the hadith of Rasulullah again is very categorical that you should not prevent the female servants of Allah. Uh, you are the male servants of Allah, and just because you have the authority uh, to run the masajid, it does not give you the power to prevent his female servants to come to the masajid. And when it means coming to the masajid, that also means in uh, that, that includes what you do in the masajid. It's not just about the salah and you go away. It's about the decision makings, the things that happen in the masajid, which equally affect males and females. And there is a whole lot of list which Rasulullah devised based on the advice that he took from the Sahabiya, the female companions. I'll give you a couple of examples. When in the early um, times of the Masjid al-Nabawi, when it was set up and the males and the females used to do salah together, 
then the female companions uh, complained to Prophet that we are in the same rows as the men and some of the men are not very decent to us. So that's when Prophet took that and he trusted females more than he trusted males and he asked them to have their rows at the back and have men in front. Also, when there was a bit of an overcrowding and females were struggling to get out of the Masjid, Prophet then proposed that, you know, we see females, let's have a different door for them, for easy access, for as well as easy outgoing for them. And we see so many other examples where we see the females actually not only a part and parcel of Masajid, but actively engaged in what and how Masajid are run. So inshallah, as we go along and as we have more kind of um, discussion on it, we can talk about other examples from the Sahaba and the first four Khulafa as well, inshallah. Okay, so it's an open discussion, so um, just jump in wherever you uh, want to say something, inshallah. Um, first question I'm putting out there is that where are we at the moment uh, with regards to uh, our masjids? And I'll, I'll maybe start with the sisters here because it's about women in the mosque. Uh, to get your view, because uh, you're, the, you're the best place for that. Um, at the moment, I think uh, compared to maybe England, Scotland is in a good position that we do have facilities, but there's a lot of work to be done in regards to how we access those facilities. So I think that, you know, I'm glad you've got women in to discuss this, uh, but you really need to speak to other women on the ground to find out how, what are their needs and are, are, is a local mosque meeting those needs. And one mosque does vary a lot from another mosque. And at the moment, even though you, if you went and asked mosques, oh, do you cater for women? Vast majority of them will say, yes, we do we cater for women. We've got prayer space and we've got other facilities. But if you ask the local women in that area, does your mosque cater for you? You might get a very different story. And I think it's very important to ask the women, is your mosque being catered, is your mosque catering for you? And not ask the mosque, are you catering for women? Because the attitude in the mosques can be very, um, unwelcoming to women. The facilities sometimes are not easily accessible. And uh, when, I mean, Women in Mosque is a very organic project and it's still in development, but one of the main kind of the words that have come out of this project so far is that the facilities are not equitable. So they may be available, but they're not equitable. They may, maybe not easily accessible. They may have to go through a fire exit or down a dark alley to get into the room. They may, it may be a dark cupboard somewhere. So the facilities for all are not appropriate. Number two, the attitude of the mosque can be quite unwelcoming. Um, so even though, yes, oh, officially, yes, we welcome women, but in practical terms, that's not the case. It's not the way we feel about it. And number three, vast majority of mosques do not have women making management decisions, and there's no sense of women don't have a sense of ownership of their local mosque. That, so those are the sort of three areas that hopefully, inshallah, we, we hope to make changes in. Okay, and yourself, sister? So, Assalamu alaikum. Um, I'd just like to kind of add to what Syra said. Um, I recently had blogged about this and it was about my experiences as a mom, in fact, and as a woman trying to access mosques and keeping this conversation relevant to Scotland. And I'm not necessarily talking for all the Muslim women out there in Scotland, but it certainly... doesn't have to be. It could be across the UK, so don't worry. <laughs> well, I'm not talking for women across the UK, either, but as an individual experience, just touching upon some of the points that Sarah had mentioned, that, you know, for me, accessing the mosque is a way of belonging. It's about practicing and expressing my faith. It's about fulfilling, for example, you know, the obligation of prayer as well. So I'm, uh, I work full time. So when I'm out and about, etc., and I need to pray, 
you know, I access my, I, I would like to think that I could access my local mosque, but I just, there was an incident that happened um, recently with my local mosque and, and that was, you know, I'd, I'd uh, as I can describe, an uncle G of the mosque, he had stopped me uh, in my tracks in terms of access in the women's area and he'd said to me about, for example, removing my shoes. And he said that there was uh, signage on the floor. And yes, there was signage on the floor. Now, this is new signage that's happened. And at the same time, I was sort of about 10 steps away from the lady's entrance. And around that, how he spoke to me, he he literally shouted at me in terms of taking my shoes off. But this was in an area where men were also coming out. And I felt quite humiliated at that experience. But later on, another experience in the very same mosque, a few weeks down the line, I've come to discover that, that that door that would lead you up to the women's area no longer is open and women have to use fire exit, you know, which is a health and safety hazard. Um, Syrah also mentioned about the side entrances and, you know, this is very common place that, you know, if we're looking at women entrances as well, that why are women given the side entrance where you're having to walk down sometimes with their children? There is an issue around accessibility. Women's um, areas tend to be on the first floor and there aren't usually lifts available. So if you've got, and nine out of 10 times, it'll be women that'll have uh, the responsibility of the children. So taking buggies, prams up, in fact, even thinking about accessibility in terms of disability, there's no kind of lift. So another recent example I want to give is of um, my, my grand passed away last year. And around that, in terms of the funeral prayers, I had relatives, very close relatives, that because of their mobility reasons weren't able to participate in my grand's funeral prayers. So you can see that's a time of distress as it is, but there are many, many issues around that. Just even things like the toilets, not having kind of baby changing areas, even again, just the toilets for the disabled. These are all issues that are affecting women. Okay. And uh, Dr. Arfan, just to get your uh, view on that, um, uh, I've been to your uh, masjid over in Airdrie. Um, alhamdulillah, it's, you know, it seems to, it's, it's full of uh, women. I'd probably say the majority of your congregation are made up of women, including my mother. So um, just to find out um, what's what's available at the moment, uh, not necessarily just within your masjid, but across gen- generally across uh, the masjid. I think I think one of, one of the one of the major difficulties uh, that we face is the cultural understanding of our deen. There is a massive problem within the whole Muslim Ummah, not just in Scotland. There's a there's a there's a difficulty that people who are brought up in a particular culture, they think that that culture is part and parcel of the Islamic teaching, and those Islamic teachings are taken sorry those cultural teachings are taken as islamic teachings and one of the important things that comes with the culture is that females have basically no role in the masjid and they are repeatedly told that you should do your salah in the house and that's the best place and the preferred place and all the other aspects that come with it but the reality is that we're living in a place where masjid is the hub of islamic activities we are living in a country where we do not have any other facilities uh, for most of our women who can access and have, number one, learning and knowledge of Islam. Number two, have a proper um, social gathering. We have social interactions where people can come together and interact with one another in a very 
Islamic environment, if you if you like the word. So as far as the masajid are concerned, I must say very sadly that the usual trend is to keep the door open to the females, but try your best that they shouldn't come. This is unfortunately that, you know, okay, you keep, as, as the sisters rightly pointed out, that even if there is females allowed into the masjid, the places are like a, a dark corner or a cupboard or the most worst place where a, I, I remember a, one of the masajid uh, a person who was quite close and wanted females to interact and engage. And he said, Daksa, we've opened the masajid for the females, but the females don't come. I said, okay, what place are you providing them? And he showed me one corner in the masjid, which was full of dampness and mold. I said, do you honestly think that anybody whom you tell to come here and stand just for five minutes will come on a regular basis to the masjid? And and he, he began to think about it. Alhamdulillah, that brother has changed uh, that, that place and they provide a better facility for the sisters now. But what I'm trying to say is that unfortunately, females in the masajid is not encouraged at the moment. But Alhamdulillah, things are changing, trends are changing, people are becoming more aware that females have a better role and an important role to play in the masajid. As you, as you mentioned in Adri, in our masjid, we have a huge amount of um, sisters come and go. In fact, they are the ones who run almost all of our projects uh, in the masajid. They are the ones who make management decisions. They are the ones who make any and every decision about the masajid, alhamdulillah. Yeah. Alhamdulillah, because see, that's, that's the beauty of consultation, the shura system that Islam has given us, the Quran has given us. Even if I don't like something, or even if my opinion is not um, accepted, once the decision is made by the shura after consultation, there is barakah in that, and we all have to go along with that. That's 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 our iman. That's but, our faith. But I think the problem is, like the sisters were explaining, is that okay? Maybe in your place you have more women within the management, but uh, in other places that the, they don't have women. So therefore, it's like you know. I think there's an example of a two wolf and a sheep deciding, you know, what should we have for dinner or something like that. You know. So you, you, there's a there's a local mosque here that has wonderful women facilities, yet not many women attend. So they will turn around and say, but we've got amazing facilities, so why are the women not coming? And the answer to that is because the attitude isn't there to welcome women. You're not welcome. You do need to put your hand out and you say, women, come and have services available. And number two, have women on the management committee that will provide the appropriate services for the women in their community because only they will know what's needed. Now, I'll give you an example. There's there's a new mosque being built. Um, and for the last eight years, we would hire a community centre and do Tarawi prayer and women would attend this year is the first year that those same women that attended eight years have not been able to attend a Tarabi prayer, even though the mosque is saying, yes, women can come. The facilities are such that it's it's just not appropriate. They're, they're not appropriate facilities for women to pray. And, and it's such a shame that for many years when we were reading Tarabi and the first year that there's a mosque and they can't. And I know there's going to be people out there listening to this. And the point is, I want, I would like for women locally to speak up so when you are unhappy with what the services that your mosque is giving you, you need to speak up. Because the other thing the mosque will say is, well, women don't come and tell us what they need. So stand up for your rights and speak up. Tell them that this is what you require and that they're not providing for the services. Could, could, could I ask another question, right? Which, um, being a, a, a male, so I'm not a female, so uh, what, you know, what, what do you get out of coming to the mosque? I know this may sound like I'm, a, I'm, I'm being silly, but... I think there's a lot of people out there that um, that might take the opinion, well, 
you know, in Islam, women don't have to come to the mosque. They can read their prayers at home if they want to read their prayers at home. Some may say that it's more rewarding. Mm -hmm. So why why are you forcing yourself in on the mosque? What is it that... And I would say, what do you get out of coming to the mosque? So one of the things I want to kind of raise, and I did raise it earlier on, was uh, as a mom of a 10-year-old boy, one of the things is I'm trying to introduce him to his deen and the practices of his deen and that it's very much so compatible with his everyday life as it is mine. So one of the things that I utilise mosque spaces for that I access across wherever, you know, travels, uh, is that this is a place for us to pray. We are Muslims, this is something obligatory for us. This is, this is your community as well, your Muslim community. So as a mum from that perspective, but I think one of the things that we must acknowledge is that communities are changing. Here in Scotland, here in the UK, communities are changing. We have got a young community, so apart from the fact around engaging our youth in this, you've got now women that are working. I mean, that's what I'm talking about in terms of new Scots as well, refugee communities here in Scotland that need that space to connect with other Muslims. You've got new Muslims as well that need that space, that belonging. And where else would one go if you, you're not sure? The first point would be naturally the local mosque, the central mosque, you know, these kind of places um, of any city or town that you would access. So that's how you connect with others. But particularly from my point of view, I think it's around... Uh, you have this argument of young people feeling disenfranchised, not feeling a part of their faith, but they're still being ousted from the very houses that they should be yeah. welcoming. And and that's a point, you know, that I think that in Glasgow we can appreciate. You know, I think we're one we're one of the places that had you know one of the our females leave young girls and join uh, an extremist organisation mm -hmm. abroad, mm -hmm. and there were questions raised at the time that. Uh, how did this happen? Mm. Now, if if our mosques are not accessible to women, uh, in especially young women that are you know at that age where they're trying to you know mm. come to terms with their religion and what's going on around about them, then there is the the easy option of going online to learn about mm. your dean and then possibly you know um, you know being misled. I'll add another point to that. I mean, obviously, there's the Christian faith in our community, and the mosque need to take responsibility for that and be actively doing something about it. There's also the idea that we are living in a community where our Islam is fragile and we have to actively be living in a society that helps our youth live their lives in Islam while being part of the community. Um, I, I, it's, it's a bit, again, we, we take lessons from the original Prophet's community and the community in Medina because, in Makkah and Medina, because they're, especially in Makkah, they're, they're Dean was fragile. So the Prophet actively encouraged men and women to come to the mosque because of that, because they needed that sense of community, they needed that sense of uh, coming together as Muslims to give them pride as big Muslims. And if you relate that, we are in the same kind of position. So we actively need to encourage our youth and our women to come to the mosque for that same encouragement, that same feeling of motivation and pride. And it's about customs changing and your your context. So this we're not living in Pakistan or India or you know or Saudi. So you can't say, oh, but in these countries, women don't go to the mosque because our culture is very different, and we need to adapt to that culture. Yeah, but what was surprising is that, like, um, I think the most populated country in the world is Indonesia. Muslim countries, Indonesia, and if you look at like Indonesia and Malaysia. Uh, if you've seen some of the pictures that come out just of the Tarawi prayers, I mean, the, the whole women's section is probably bigger than most of our uh, massage that we've got in Scotland. So, um, so you know, they're also a Muslim country. 
but yet women are completely engaged within the masjid. So Dr. Rafan, um, I wanted to ask you um, about these uh, hadith that um, it's better for the women to read their prayer um, at home and better to read their prayer you know, in the innermost uh, room. Um, but then there's also a hadith in your meaning that mentions that um, not to stop women coming to the mosque. So how can we reconcile uh, this? Uh, are there contradictions? I think I think one of, one of the important aspects to to know is that the the ahadis have got different gradings and they've got different kind of connotations and there's always a context when a hadith is mentioned what is mentioned and what is not mentioned. The most of the hadith which you quoted about females better off serving in her own home in her own corners about is basically answers to the questions which this companions the, the female companions ask Prophet ﷺ that you know the men are going for jihad they are going this they're attaining martyrdom, they're attaining all these rewards, what is in it for us? And then Prophet, peace be upon him, as a compensation, said to them that if you fulfill your roles, even sitting in your own home, and even doing salah in your own home, you will get the best rewards for that, you get the equal rewards for that. So there's a context to that. It's absolutely nothing to do from uh, about asking them to stay home. That is not the purpose. In fact, the only place where the Quran mentions that the females should stay home is if they are uh, the, the the initial punishment for adultery or fornication was that you know confine them to the home completely. So Quran is using this as a punishment, and we cannot use the word which Quran is used as a punishment for something as a routine life for females. Coming to the masajid is very very important, especially for sisters in this country. Why? There isn't an Islamic environment around. I mean, a lot of the brothers come up, and and even as an imam. Um, I, uh, a lot of people speak to me about so many areas and one of the areas they speak about is the teenage um, daughters and they are 16 or 18 and suddenly they have rebelled and they've, they've taken a completely different path and a simple question I ask them when they come up they're all in tears and obviously concerned and worried as to why their, their daughter took such a different path or a wrong path I, I sit down with them and I explain to them you know what did you do for the first 16 years? Now she's 16 and she suddenly turned wild as you described them. But what was, where was she for the last 16 years? What did you do to ensure that she was getting the right information? She was getting the right environment. Was she in the masjid? Was she ever allowed to go into the masjid? What were your concerns? What were your priorities? You suddenly wake up after 16 and 18, which is not right. And then you're blaming that girl as well. Whereas you as a parent, as a guardian, had the responsibility to bring her up give her the options, and even after that, then she chooses something else, then it's not your fault. So not having the ability, not having the option to come to the masjid, to engage with the wider community, to take the benefit from, has two-pronged difficulties. Number one, the, pe the person, the young person is not getting attached to the deen because out, outside the masajid, there isn't such an environment which is available. And number two, we are depriving the masajid in itself. We are depriving the community itself from the best part, from the cream of your membership, that these people who would have had so many different skills, who would have had so many different capabilities, they would come in and actually contribute to the community. So by keeping our sisters or females away from the masajid, which is always more than 50%, by the way, so more than 50% of your community, of your talent, is away from the masjid. No wonder the masajid, especially the committees, are in a state they are in at the moment. And that shouldn't be the case.
can I comment on those uh, yeah, particular hadith that yeah. you were referring to? So there, I think there's two hadith that people often refer to. One is where it said that it's better for you to pray in home and then even better if you pray in a secluded place in your home. Um, and some scholars say that that was a particular reply to a woman. It doesn't. It's not, it wasn't generic for all women. So a specific yes. woman asked the Prophet yes. and he replied that to her. So for whatever reason, we don't know, it was better for her. Secondly, the other one is uh, the hadith of Aisha, um, when she said that if the Prophet knew what these new these some women had invented, he would have stopped them from going to the mosque. Now, there's again that's been new scholars have dissected that and said things like, well, Allah SWT knew what this new thing would have been, and Allah didn't stop women initially in his word from going to the mosque, and the Prophet didn't first you know, he didn't say if this new thing's happened that stopped women then. Aisha, her, I, Aisha herself was not of the opinion that women should stop going to the mosque despite this new thing that was invented. And number three, we don't know what that new thing was. So even though she said this at that time, it still did not, did not lead to that culture being changed of women going to the mosque. So yes, there are those hadith, but we have to look at the context of those hadith and they don't apply to us in this time. Okay, right. What I'll do is, inshallah, we're just um, conscious of time. Um, we're going to have to go for an ad break. Um, it's been a good discussion up to now, and I'm sure after the uh, advertisements we'll continue with uh, our discussion. I could hear Dr. Rafan wanting to get in on that, but inshallah, we'll have to go for an ad break, and when we come back, uh, we'll continue. Assalamu alaikum. So, assalamu alaikum, everyone, welcome back uh, to Let's Talk About It, where today we are discussing women in the mosque. So, my name's Abad, I'm your host, and I'm joined by our three guests, uh, Samina, Chief Executive of Amina, and we have uh, Dr. Uh, Saira, she's a GP, uh, and she's also the Chair of uh, Women in Mosque Project, and Dr. Afan, an Imam and Consultant Psychiatrist. Um, so inshallah, we, we talked uh, quite a bit uh, before the break, um, and I know maybe people had some points they wanted to continue with, so uh, we were discussing the different hadith around about um, whether women should or shouldn't go to the mosque. Um, did anyone else want to say anything else on that? Yeah, I think I think I just wanted to mention that the practical examples that at the time of Prophet وسلم, and after uh, Rasulullah at the time of Khulafa is completely opposite to what we hear uh, from these different ahadiths and the way people you know kind of apply or want to apply these ahadiths. You see, ahadiths are sometimes there's a difference between sira and hadith. Hadith is where you get a statement, and that's been recorded by a particular imam of hadith, like Imam Bukhari has recorded something, Imam Muslim has recorded something. But then we have a sira. The sira is like, it tells you the whole incident, the whole story as to what actually happened, who said what, in what, what context and circumstances the things were said. So if you take anything out of context, it's like uh, taking things out of context in surah, the most famous and the most famed verse, six verse of Surah Toba, where wherever you find them and kill them, and that's the best for EDL and other extremist organizations. Now look at the Quran, look at the Muslims, this is what they do, this is what they've been commanded by God. It's exactly the same, that you know, if you take anything out of context, you're going to get that. I'm going to look at Rasulullah asking and encouraging the females to come out and not only come to the masjid, but actually come to the festivities. When in the time to Eids, Rasulullah would specifically instruct people, and this is recorded in Abu Dawood, Tirmizi, Muslim, and Bukhari. And he would ask for the young females to come out. 
And some of the females would say, well, you know, some of them are menstruating and are they still allowed to come? He would say, no, they should definitely come. They don't need to participate in the Salah, but participate in the festivities of the Eve. Come out over there. To the extent that some of the Ansar women said that one of the females may not have the proper dress. And Prophet answered, I'm asking, no, she should borrow a dress from, from one of the sisters and come out and definitely be a part and parcel of that. Similarly, at the time of Umar, we see that he's talking about the meher, that females are wanting more meher. And again, what, what the sister earlier on mentioned about Aisha mentioning that if Rasulullah had seen what the women are up to now or what the situation is now, he would have prevented them from going to the masajid. Things will always change and people's perceptions, people's understanding, they do not make the laws for, for us as Muslims. Quran is the ultimate law and the hadith supports that law and, and rectifies that. Uh, so ratifies that law. Any other person, be it Aisha or any other companion, their views are very dear to us, their views are very important to us, but they do not make laws. They are not um, the laws, or they, they cannot change what has been done or undone by the Quran and the Sunnah. Mm -hmm. the, yeah. Sorry. Can I comment on that? Just, yeah. the, just, just on that point, actually, I, about the, the companions, there's a hadith of um, Hazrat Umar, and um, he told his son off very severely when his son, or I think it was his grandson, said, I, we're not going to allow women to go to the mosque. And he had a right telling off from his uh, from Hazrat Umar, because he said, how can you do that when the Prophet positively encouraged women? So how dare you? Stop something that positive that the Prophet encouraged to do. So uh, you know, so people will come, pious people, and they will have their own opinions. And I'm not saying that of the companions. Uh, you know, th their their position is different. But from them predecessors, their position may be different. But we have to go back to the Prophet and the companions and their opinions and how they led their life. So that's a really good example that yes, people will come and they'll say certain things, but we go back to the original source. Exactly. I had I actually. I listened to a, a really good, um, what was it called, uh, speech that was given. It was actually a program that was organised. Um, the sister that was speaking, her name was is it Zara Faris, and she uh, was down in Manchester, and it was regarding reviving the Prophet's legacy, um, women in the mosque. And I, I've got to say, I've heard different people speak, but she seemed to have the most balanced uh, uh, opinion and practical, you know, that... Her, her argument where she was looking at both of the hadith that encouraging and not and saying that it's better to maybe stay at home and she said well um, we can we can apply both you know we can understand that the masjid should be accessible and be there for women you know completely and at the same time if a woman decides that I'm not going to be at the mosque I'm going to be at my home that's fine as well so both are fine but they were it wasn't it was not a, a ban on women actually uh, going to the masjid, mm -hmm. but it was actually saying, okay, for some women, maybe, you know, they might decide that, okay, I need to be in the house at this time to do something. So I'm not going to go to the masjid. So just to say to them, okay, by you doing your domestic uh, stuff within the house, that's not a problem. That's fine. You don't need to come to the masjid. You'll be rewarded. But at the same time, encouraged to come to the mosque that if you're at the mosque, you're also rewarded. So it's not necessarily... Um, banning someone. So if you get a chance go on YouTube and you may be able to listen to her speech. I wanted to now move on inshallah to where we would like to be. Okay, so the idea is that okay, we've got uh, we've got your views on uh, where you think we are at the moment but where would we like to be in the future? 
So if you had the uh, the opportunity, I always say this in different shows and then people laugh, if you had a magic wand and you could just, you know, magic everything the way that you'd want it to be, then what kind of, uh, what? how would we have, uh, how would our relationship be with women uh, and the mosque? Can I say something about yes? that? Uh, Muslims are always on the defence when it comes to this whole idea of women in the mosque and women generally in feminism. And we're always... Uh, saying, oh no, no, but Islam liberated women and look at Hazrat Khadija, look at Hazrat Aisha. But unfortunate truth mm. is that we as a society and community oppress our women. Um, and unfortunately, Quran and Hadith has been used out of context to support those ideologies and culture has a lot to do with it as well. I want to get to the stage where we don't have to say, no, 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 Islam doesn't oppress women because look at Hazrat Khadija. I want to say no, Islam doesn't oppress women because look at our community. Because at the community, we do not champion our women, we don't empower women, and the mosques do have to have a responsibility in that because the, the, the average person will look at their, their faith leaders to get that kind of standard, and that is the mosque. And I actually, I do believe that the, if a mosque were to lead on this and champion women, that things like domestic abuse would decrease, social problems would decrease, a crisis in faith would decrease. So maybe it's uh, quite a um, ambitious vision, but that that's what I I, I would imagine. I, the I would also think that you know if having more women in the management uh, would probably be better management because you have a lot of uh, alpha males deciding that they're going to argue with each other, uh, and then this causes problems within the masjid. I think having women in that environment would give it a total different. Um, you know, it would, be, it would be totally different. The whole structure it would it would work differently. And I mean, like I know people go back to culture as well. You know, but, you know, from what I remember, you know, maybe it's not the best example, but Benazir Bhutto, she became the prime minister of Pakistan. You know, so we're talking about you know, even if we're looking at culture, I mean, within our culture, we've got women that have reached you know uh, high up levels to you know to leading a country. And also uh, taking up the biggest posts, and even in this country, we have you know uh, we've had um, a cabinet. Uh, was it called minister um, within the UK? Um, was it called the uh, UK government that was a Muslim? You know, and I can't understand and get my head around how uh, we can have women in, in all other positions, you know, doing work uh, within society, but yet as soon as they step into the mosque, they become these, you know. Um, you know, people that, that need you know that need to be controlled. Otherwise, they'll mislead everybody. We, we, we all know that committee members love taking pictures with the first minister, etc. But a woman, a Muslim woman, walks in the door and it's a, a fitna. So <laughs> there we go. So we need we Nicola Sturgeon. If she, if only she could, if she could become a Muslim. Then that would. Uh, <laughs> That would really catch them out then, innit? <laughs> there we go. So we need Nicola Sturgeon. If she, if only she could, if she could become a Muslim. Then that would, uh, that would really catch them out then, innit? <laughs> I think, I think there's a couple of things uh, about I would like to mention. Yeah. Number one is about what the sister earlier on mentioned that you know it's it's okay to say that we liberated. I the the way I put it is, is that yes, Islam liberated females. Yes, Islam gave them all the rights, but. Muslim men took all of them rights away, each one by one. And unfortunately, that is a sad story, whether that's in masajid, whether that's in homes. And the sister is absolutely right. If the females, if our sisters are more and more part of the community, they are more part of the masajid, they're more part of the committees and 
administration, you would see that there will be a decline in the amount of abuse that goes on in the name of culture and religion. Even to the extent that when somebody, a female, has to take a divorce, what is known as khula, the amount of confusion that is there and the amount of struggle that she has to ha have, despite the fact that she is right, she has been wronged and she has been abused, it's unbelievable. And it's all happening in the name of Islam. It's all happening in the name of a maslak or an understanding, which has nothing to do with our deen, basically. So I think that is a very, very important area to look at and something really important to give our sisters the right to be a part and parcel of something. And and I wanted to you know bring in some, some other aspect to it as well. There is another, because we work with the new Muslims and new Muslim sisters are three is to one ratio when it comes to brothers and sisters accepting Islam. And it is amazing how the revert sisters are treated. Revert sisters are really treated differently than the born Muslim uh, sisters by the community, the born Muslim community. That's one thing. The even worse thing is that even the born Muslim sisters treat revert sisters completely differently. And sometimes they even look at them when they come to the masjid as if to give them a look and say, why, why are you here? Well, what are you doing over here? And it's a strange thing. And again, as the sister rightly pointed out, if it's Nicholas Sturgeon coming to meet the very same imam, the very same masjid committee, they're so happy to receive them. And yet if a sister wants to come and just offer her salah, she is a fitna. It's such a sad story. Yeah, definitely. Um, I just wanted to get us to focus a little bit now on uh, where we would like to be. So, you know, uh, if you can if you can think, because a lot of people will then say that, look, this is just... Turn the honest, the honest, honest, honest answer with, and, and a very blunt answer would be <laughs> when we have a complete replacement of our current masjid committee. <laughs> But I think that would be too too unrealistic. Though. So 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 okay. Say say that say that there say that was right. What would you what would you replace it with? Well, I think we need to replace it with the younger blood because I believe, and I've seen this practically, that the younger generation has a different understanding. They have a different approach. Not all of them, but majority of them have a different approach to that. Both young males as well as young females should be part and parcel of the management committees. Number one. Number two which I think is a better option is that sisters and youngsters especially should be allowed in the masajid to conduct their own activities. See, once you start, this is how we changed the pattern in different masajids, alhamdulillah. We started by having uh, sisters as well as the youngsters doing their own activities in the masjid. And once the masjid committees and people who are against this got used to them having on a regular basis, number one. Number two, they looked at the positives that they brought, the contribution that they made, all the other things which were a part and parcel of their thinking patterns, their approaches, they all slowly died away. So engaging in activities, bringing projects to the masajid, because I think sisters also have to be proactive in this, that once they find somebody, obviously finding somebody is difficult, I must say, but when you find somebody or some place Try and engage with the activity. Try and start with the smallest activity that you can engage in and it will grow from there, inshallah. Yes, sisters. Um, so I think for me, in terms of looking forward to what I would like in an ideal world, yeah. um, most spaces to look like, really for me, I kind of reflect about 
the prophet peace be upon him his time and what i've read and what i've heard you know as a child and growing up about what that was like and it was very much so the hub of the community and i think this is referred to earlier on in the conversation as well so that is a place where you know issues such as um, domestic abuse, such as um, kind of feeling disenfranchised, social isolation. And I have to say that, you know, overseeing a Muslim woman's helpline as well, that those are two of our key areas. There's a lot, particularly now, there's a lot within the Muslim community and particularly Muslim sisters, women are feeling around social isolation. It's a growing issue and the impact that has on mental health as well and mental well-being. But that's a place where you can go for support. It's a place where um, the, the brother had also said around activities. So you've got the youth activities for both for young men and for young young women. It is a place for everyone, and that's and I'm talking about even those that have got. Again, it's around accessibility, and we must think about who do we not include in that conversation. And quite often, if we think about people with disabilities as well that they're able to organise as well within those communities, feel that they have a place there as well. And I'm just going to touch on something that's a bit of a sensitive topic as well around LGBTQI communities as well, that do they feel that they can access most? Is that space for them as well? So the reality is that we've got to get, I think, that I would want it to be a place where everyone feels there is something there for them. That is what I see most space is looking like in the future. Okay. Everything that's already been said, definitely, and just adding another perspective to it, I think mosques need to look at their local community and what the local community needs from them, and remember that they're a service to their local community, um, and every so that means that every mosque will be different depending on what the community is. So, like, so if if it's you know a community where it's predominantly Asian Pakistanis, you deal with whatever issues, social issues they have. If it's a community where it's more refugees or you know, a reverse. You're look. You're 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 making sure that your services are catered to that local community. So every mosque will be different. Has to cater to the local community, and it has to be a service to their community. Because at the moment, it's not the the, the, the hierarchy does not see it that way, unfortunately. And and what else? So I'm I'm going to keep pushing you on this a little bit, but uh, just to find out. So what else would you like in your ideal mosque with women in it? What else? Come on, I'm giving you complete control now, you know. So one of the things, um, just to kind of uh, further expand on Cyrus' point there, that I think it just touches upon that when you're wanting to have um, all those communities involved in it, how do you have that? Then you essentially need to have those people on the boards. Mm -hmm. Represented. Yeah, absolutely yeah. represented. You've always got to ask that question, well, who's around the table? And is that representative of our community? It's interesting because there's many initiatives, and I don't know why it's coming to my mind about things like uh, Police Scotland, you know, when they're looking at increasing their diversity of their police force, you know, the initiatives that are happening, they're trying to do it so it represents the population, the uh, BME population here in Scotland. So they're recognising, and there's positive actions being taken around that, but that's just one thing that kind of came into my head around that. It all comes back to the fact that our community is it's fluid, and it's changing, and unfortunately, the the mosques and the committees are not changing because twenty years ago, thirty years ago, more than that, it was generally an Indo-Pak community, but that is not the case anymore. So the mosques to represent the Somalian community, the North African community, you know, the, the diversity that we have locally. Each local mosque needs to represent that. And it, it was mentioned earlier today, uh, you know, if you're talking about a model mosque, what would it be? The Cambridge mosque that is a um, 
currently still in the process, they've not quite opened up, I think is an ideal mosque. They're eco-friendly, they've involved women and other groups right from the start in the, pro the whole process from start to, you know, from start to finish. And it just is a welcoming mosque. It's a beautiful, welcoming mosque that is catering for the community. And that required talking with the community right from day one. Now that can't happen now because we've already got established mosques, but to engage with the community is never too late. What do the youth want? What do the women want? What do the disabled community want? What does your Somalian community want? Whoever it is that's in your locality, you need to ask them. You need to speak to them. What do they need? And then bring those services in board. It's not going to be overnight, but I think um, change takes time. Um, and I think those that change is happening. And it's just it's about people realising that it's time to set aside, set, step aside and let other people you know, come on board, and it's a, it's again a power struggle. Always kind of comes back to that, okay. but but things are changing. So, see, the, to, to answer your question, but about uh, what, what would you like? Have you given me all the authority and all the power, mashallah. Yeah. No, I won't be. I won't be judge, jury, and the executionist. But what what, what I would what I would say, if I was to just give a one sentence or a one word for it, that I would like the masjid or the mosque to be exactly what it was at the time of Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, which, which the, the way it was looked at is how we can put in our terms as a one-stop shop for everything. Mm -hmm. This is what the masajid should be, this is what our centers should be. It's a one-stop shop for anybody, everybody could come and ask their own difficulties and Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam as the head of the masjid, as the head of the state used to get those things sorted from the masajid. So if we could make our masajid, our centers as one-stop shop centers for everybody not just for muslims you see we have to also look at something very important there was there's a hadith which mentions that one of the females used to stay within the masjid and she used to tidy up the masjid she had pitched her tent in the inside the masjid and we used to stay there live there and when she passed away prophet was away and then sahaba told that she has passed away and he said why did you not tell me about her passing away and he went away and did the um, the, the prayer for her after that. So masajid were not just there for prayers at the time of Prophet Some delegations were received in the masajid. Which what I'm trying to say that when the people from Najran came, the Christians from Najran came and they had a discussion with Prophet they stayed there for three or four days. And then when their time for prayer came, it was Sunday, and they asked Prophet where shall we go? What did he say? He said to them, this is house of Allah, pray over here. Can you imagine today? allowing people to do shirk, quote-unquote, in the masjid and that to inside the masjid in Nabawi. But that is what the Prophet Wasallam's idea of masjid was, what the idea of that center was at that time. A one-stop shop for everyone, including non-Muslims, including the wider community. And that is what I would, inshallah, want our masjid to be. And for our faith leaders to be more accessible, because at the moment, I, I think... That is not the case, and people that may have questions or crisis of faith, they don't know where to turn to. And you know, really, it should be our faith leaders that are those people that are there for those people. And I know, I, I don't, I acknowledge the fact that there are our scholars and moms work really hard, and especially our moms, you know, they are inundated with work, and they're not. And part of the part of the problem is that they've not been given the respect and position and financial support that they need and they should be. So it comes back to a structural kind of issue, but that, that, that is part of it. Our, our faith leaders, our moms, our scholars need to be accessible. And just to add to that, I mean, I think one of the things that I recognise around women that are, that are learned as well, that you know we should support 
women that want to pursue that journey and have them be accessible to the community as well. So mm -hmm. when you think about like Aisha Vidyana and you think about the knowledge that she had, I mean, she was a teacher of her time and pioneer of her time. Uh, and again, you know, are we supporting the women in our communities to to have that learned list? Actually, just another vision I have for my perfect mosque, I want a time to come where a woman scholar can sit and teach a mixed group of men and women because that is something that happened during a prophet's time and you can come to Adrian Masjid for that every Tuesday inshallah 7 to 9 there you go you can go to his masjid he's happy to have you uh, teaching everyone and and it's all it happens every week by the way sister we've got about 20 sisters and about 10 brothers who attend a mixed group as used to happen at the time of prophet and we learn about sira we learn about the quran and anything and everything that people come up with and it's an interactive class it's a very informal class so you already got one in Adrian. I think I would I would suggest both of your sisters to please pay us a visit in Adri uh, to find out more about it. I think I think we will actually Dr. Fan inshallah. I, I just I mean there's a couple of practical wee things that you know most could even implement now and I think one of what the two things that have come to mind. Number one around the khutbah and actually who are you reaching out to in terms of the khutbah and the language as well. So um that's a consideration for mosques. Um, another practical small example is around, and again I mentioned it earlier on, around children tend to be with the women um, and we should have uh, men's spaces where they're accessible to children as well and men take responsibility for the children as well. But you know there was one nice thing when I attended a mosque where uh, my wee one was offered a coloring book and some crayons on a Juma, which was really welcoming you know, for him. The, somebody acknowledged there's a child here, give him something. And it was like an Islamic coloring book as well. So we can do that together to go over that. So these are small things that can be implemented now. That doesn't need to be a vision that's realized no. 10 years down the line. No, that's quite simple, yeah. <laughs> that, the, other, the other thing is that we really need to do is acknowledge and champion the mosques that are doing those things. I think yeah. we really need to raise awareness of you know, places like Adrian Mosque and other mosques are doing these. So, you know, I know we are t talking very negatively, but there's a lot of positive work out there, and we do need to raise awareness uh, of that. I think I need to do. I, ne I think I need to do a show just around Airdrie Masjid, where I'm going to take part in all the activities and shadow you, inshallah. So Jazakallah, that's um, quite good. We've got a lot of points down here. We've talked about where we would like to be in the future. Uh, we're just going to go for a, a short ad break, and then when we come back. Uh, we want to sort of start thinking now, how can we do this? You know, what practical steps can we now uh, take to make this happen? So it's no point in it just being theory. Uh, we don't want to just talk about it. It's not a rant. It's not just mm -hmm. talking about, you know, dreams. But, okay, now how can we uh, start to focus, uh, inshallah, to improve the situation? Assalamu alaikum. Okay, so, assalamu alaikum. Welcome back to all our listeners. And this is Let's Talk About It, where today we are talking about women in the mosque. My name's Abad, I'm your host, and today I'm joined by three guests. We have uh, Samina, Chief Executive from Amina, and we also have uh, Dr. Saira, she's a, a GP, and also Chair of Women in the Mosques Project, and Dr. Arfan, an Imam and a Consultant Psychiatrist. Um, so, inshallah, we've already covered um, what's available at the moment, kind of, in the community with regards to women in the mosques and where we would like to be. We also talked about some Islamic aspects and we went off on some other discussions, which is fine. Um, now the last section of the show, I want to try and get us all now to focus on 
how can we actually realise this? You know, how can we make uh, what we have talked about actually come into fruition? Is there anything that's going on at the moment, or you know, what are your suggestions? So anybody can start us off. Oh no, I was just going to say. I mean, I think Dr. Fanston in a good place because he's been involved in a mosque and can share with uh, the community how yeah. they actually implemented. So I think that's a good starting point. So, Dr. Fan, how are you guys doing it then? Um, because uh, th that's, I think that's what you're saying, aren't you? Mm. Yeah. So how? Yeah. See, I think I think one of one of the uh, I mean, amazing things which which happened uh, in our masjid and the way we kind of started it was to try and have um, an imam who is not a paid imam, yeah? And it may sound very strange to a lot of the people, but the reality is the concept of leadership, and that's what we're looking at. So when we're looking at m uh, sisters in the masajid, or the role for the masajid, and how do, how do we do it, we have to have a paradigm shift in the concept of the leadership. Imam is not somebody who offers prayer five times a day and leads that prayer. That's not Imam. The concept of Imam is the leader in the community, the, the community leader who knows, who has his fingers on the pulse of the community and knows his community like the back of his hand and is able to then suggest and solve issues. The first and foremost thing we did in the Adri was to not have a paid Imam. So anybody and everybody can come. We trained people who can do salah, who can read salah, and who can lead salah. Anybody from the congregation just leads the prayer and they came forward. Number one. Number two, sit down with the people. Now, the brothers, we had a similar difficulty in that place as well. We had elderly people. We had people who had different concepts and different thoughts. But we sat down with them. We discussed with them. We told them again and again. And then we gradually and slowly started making changes. And the way, as I mentioned earlier on as well, the way we started making changes was to give activities to different groups. Youth started doing their own activities. Sisters started doing their own activities. And the masjid suddenly began to realize that these sisters, these brothers, these youngsters, they are going, they are coming back and forth, they are conducting these activities, and they're actually contributing to the masjid. They were working for the masjid. If masjid, masjid needed any work done, a tidiness was needed to be done. They were all contributing. And when our elders saw that, that this is actually good, and a lot of the money was saved, instead of looking at money to pay for the person every month, we were looking at money that was being collected for activities. We started a toddler's group, mother and toddler's group. We started elders group. We started a group for the revert sisters. We started a group for the youngsters. Then we started a group which was very controversial, was for the young boys and girls, teenage boys and girls. And again, was very controversial to start with, but Alhamdulillah, it ran very well. Most of them are, most of the boys and girls are now in unis. But the, the, the important thing of joining them together was that last year they conducted a program uh, by the name of uh, the open day for all the youth groups of uh, Scotland. And it was so well received. Even the police scouts came in and it was fantastically done. It was all done by the youth, the boys and the girls from the, that youth group. They conducted, they planned it and executed all of that. And when the people actually saw that, the fruits of that, the parents saw the fruits of that, the people, the community saw the fruits of that, and our Masjid committee saw the fruits of that. They were all, alhamdulillah, very happy with that, and they are continuing with that project. We call that the Project of Personal Development Program, PDP, which is specific for these groups. So it is, as the sister said earlier on, it's going to be a slow process. It's not going to happen overnight. However, 
we will have to take steps. People who are in and around the masajid, within the community, they have to come forward. And it all boils down to giving time to the masjid. Now, this is one thing, again, we lack, and I've personally experienced this, that Muslim community is very good at donating money, but they are very, very bad at donating time or having actually giving time for the community, for the activities, for conduct of them, for organizing of them. You'll find very few people actually doing that. And unless and until, what I call it as activism, whether that's political activism, social activism, unless and until that happens, we will have these dreams and they are not going to be realized, unfortunately. But we have to, we can start from a small activity and then inshallah there will be a ripple effect from them. Yeah, so yeah um, you're mentioning, actually I've got three points of what we can yeah. do and obviously Dr. Fan's coming from the mosque point of view, so this is from the public point of view. Yeah. I'll start off with something that may be a bit controversial and it comes, it's, it's about donating to mosques. I think women are very generous in our community and I would even maybe think that women donate more than men. I'd agree, yeah. So, I think women need to think about where they're do- what mosque are they donate to because that's you know it's always something that happens in Ramadan. Donate to your local mosque, you know you get a place in Jannah. I think women need to think harder on about where they're donating to, and think is that mosque giving me the services that I need? Is that mosque doing what I need it to do for me, my kids, and my community? And then decide on because I I, I actually. Personally, don't feel comfortable donating to a mosque that's not going to provide for my service, you know, for my needs and um, open its doors to, to me. So I'm not going to be donating to that mosque. And I'm not saying that's what women should do. I'm just thinking that women should start thinking about that. Number two, I think women need to educate themselves on what their rights are. That this is, you know, and not be a, not, not be so easily persuaded that, oh, your, your, your namaz is better off at home. You don't need to read Juma or you don't need to go to eat namaz. You're better off at home. I think you need to kind of revise that, look back into, speak to people, um, read, you know, just, there's so many sources now that are widely available. So educate yourself on what your rights are. And number three, take action. If you're not happy with your local mosque, speak up. Um, you know, and do it in the right way. Send an email or ask for a meeting and actually sit down and voice what your concerns are, voice what your opinions are. Take along some other people along with you because there's strength in numbers. Um, and it, it could be something like, you know, our, our facility, the, the room is too small or our kids are not being catered for or the, the door that you, you know, we go into the women's is, it's round the back and it's not safe. Whatever it is, get some women together and go and speak to the committee because if they are hearing this day and day, they will change. I do, th- and I- I'm saying that from having had discussions with people that are involved in mosques. They will often say, oh, "But women don't speak up," so you need to speak up and tell them what the problems are. Yeah. Um, I think one of the things that is really important is consultation with the community because people's needs will always be different, and what they feel is a priority will also be different. So it's very important. A part of this process is that we consult with the very people that the mosque is there for um, and what do they actually want and further on to that then it would be also around women organising and there are many kind of groups and places where there is an appetite for this conversation right now so if women want, you know, came together to discuss it, whatever their priority was then like Sarah was saying 
you know, take it forward to the mosque that they want the change in. Um, I would also say social media is quite a good wee platform to organise as well and raise concerns, but also raise good practice because I think part of this conversation is there are some really good things as it's uh, Dr. Fant kind of the plugged uh, Airdrie Mosque, there are some good good mosques that can, you know, highlight some good practice happening. Um, but against a woman feeling empowered to come together to organise and do something about it. You know, have that conversation and it starts at home, have that conversation at home, expand it to your friends, expand it to neighbours, expand it further. But social media is a great way to do that. So I would say that really in terms of sort of organising, for me, those would be the first kind of steps uh, for engagement in in terms of taking this work forward. Uh, yeah. I think it's, it's it's very important uh, as sisters mentioned have have a pressure group for the for the committee to actually listen to them that is very important but again it again boils down to the fact that unfortunately if you write an email you would be lucky to find people on the committee who actually have an email address that's that's the starting point sadly which is the situation and the second part is they 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 don't really look at social media they don't really look at all these areas however i think one of the important things is to pressurize by actually meeting up with people as one of the sisters mentioned, you know, arrange a meeting with them, say, well, this is this is what's happening here and definitely raise your voice because I think unless and until sisters really raise their voice and mention them, and I really like the idea of sisters actually wanting to donate to the masjid that's catering for their needs and actually they can say to the masjid that, okay, We'll give you this amount of money if you start having this for sisters or this for uh, children and these kind of have, have a creche facility. Why is there not a creche? Like, for example, when we have our class for the revert sisters, a lot of them are married and they have young kids. So we have a creche facility so that they can bring their family along. They can bring their children along who are busy playing with the creche and they can benefit from the class. So I think it's really important. And I think the sister made a very, very valid point that our sisters, alhamdulillah, are very, very generous and they have this power within themselves. But that's again boiling down to the activism. They have to, you know, it can't be done by one single sister. It has to be a group of sisters saying, okay, we take a collective decision. We're only going to donate if the Masjid Committee decides to help us with these difficulties which are there. It, it could be a massive, honestly, an excellent way of approaching them. It is it, it is, it is, a kind of sensitive area and it's not something I would be, you know, I'm, I'm just saying as an individual in my local area, I felt very uncomfortable saying, listen guys, let's not donate because they're not catering for us. So individually I didn't, but, you know. But, but don't, don't we also have, um, I, I, I meet plenty of Muslim scholars, I'm talking about men as well, that you know, that, that agree that, you know, Muslim, uh, that, that women should be part of the management and part of uh, the, the masjid. So, I mean, I know we're saying make a women's group to go along and uh, do this, but I'm sure there's a lot of people that we could, uh, men that could be taken along as well and probably are in positions at the moment within committees that, that understand the importance of this. Um, and those people, you know, uh, you could also work with them maybe to try and uh, put a bit of pressure. I think, um, Dr. Saida, I think it was at one of the events I went to, you were speaking and you had mentioned that you brought your son along or your son wanted to come along. Mm-hmm. And you'd mentioned the importance of that, that the next generation that are growing up as well uh, to sort of make sure that... Um, we don't repeat the same mistakes. Absolutely. And yeah. it's like Samina said when she took her son to the mosque, because, and I'm taking my son to these talks or taking him to the mosque. And, you know, it, women are, women do most of the parenting. 
and there's a rising number of single parent families and the mothers have the kids. So we need to take that into consideration and, you know, again, educating the youth is extremely important. I do, I do agree with that, that in terms of um, men have to be allies in this and I just want to yeah. say this isn't just about women raising their voices, it is about the men coming forward and amplifying those voices and, mm -hmm. and, and in fact speaking up as well, saying that this is not acceptable. Mm -hmm. So this isn't just a woman's issue, it's a community issue. Yeah, I think, I think um, if I am um, a realist about it, I think it's the change is going to happen if Nicola Sturgeon uh, goes ahead with her plans of wanting females on any and every committees that are in the country in 2019-2020. That's what she plans. And I think it might come to the massages that they will be forced to have sisters on the committee and they might look around for their wives and their daughters and their aunties to grab hold of them, say, so please sign this form and become on the committee. So that, that's a chance. If you've got a year, year or so, year or so to plan for that in the community and say, make sure that the sisters are well represented because I think it is going to come now and it will be forced upon the Muslim community rather than they taking the initiative themselves. Yeah. Don't, don't you think that it would be good, um, again this might just be me being a, uh, you know, always trying to be optimistic, but you know, if the, the masjids willingly, you know, would actually say, you know what, we need to make sure that we have women on all of the committees, um, yeah. you know, uh, I, I know a few years ago there was a a push to try and get women on uh, the committee of a masjid, and they, they eventually said, yeah, we're, we're happy to have women on the committee. I don't think it, it actually uh, materialised, but the fact that they, they took a change in stance and said, from saying that no, women couldn't be on the committee to, yes, they can be on the committee now. See, I think another issue maybe in, in realising this is that um, I think sometimes, and I'm talking from maybe the point of view of the committees, um, maybe the, or the, or the masjid, they may be feeling that, you know what, um, we're always being attacked, you know, in the media, as generally every Muslim feels at some point, but maybe they feel it more because they're, a, they're an institute and people like reporters and media will come to them and ask them. So they're sort of feeling like, you know, we're being attacked right now. And um, instead of actually everyone, you know, so they sort of bunker down, you know, and think that, right, let's just, uh, you know, weather the storm. But then what happens is that when uh, women or young people or anyone else stands up and says, we want things to be different, it's almost as if uh, you are hypocrites, man. You're joining, the, you're joining the other side to kick us when we're down. And I think maybe we need to look at how do we get over that and actually go, look, we're, we are a community. You know, this is not about you know, uh, harming anyone, but it's about the best interests of the whole community. I think it's very important that you, the committees have been there for a long period of time. And most of the committees, unfortunately, the way they work is not democratic at all. People are there for life and they see this as a property, which is which is a sad part of the story. They see the masjid as their own personal property in a lot of the, um, you know, masjid, sadly. And any change, any bit of a uh, suggestion of change feels as if something is being taken away from them. And I think it has to be realized. I mean, they have to realize, the masajid committees have to realize that it's not about victimization or everybody is against us. Yes, Muslims are being attacked for one or the other 
reason and that's just purely out of propaganda as when there's generalization of the things but the masjid committees are being asked genuine questions i mean where how do you get a masjid committee how do you form a masjid committee how is it regulated who regulates it who allows a person to be the masjid committee forever how do you actually change and you know coming to the imams as 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 well you mentioned about uh, imams uh, you know, a lot of imams wanting a change and wanting sisters to be there. That's true. But see, unfortunately, imams are reduced to employees of the masjid committee. The moment the imam says anything which is not in line with the committee's understanding or committee's requirements, imams are out. And imams have stopped doing what they should have been doing, that is to lead the community. Because unfortunately, they are paid by the committee and they are it's like a it's like a double-edged sword for them. If they say anything against committee, they lose their job. If they don't, then they lose their imam position. So that's a that's a really difficult part of it. But what I'm trying to say is that masjid committees cannot claim to be the victims in this. Why? Because they are really not doing enough for the community. What they are doing is managing the masjid, managing and maintaining the masjid, keeping it tidy, keeping it clean, making it available for Jumat prayers and all the other things. But see what Allah says in the Quran, and this is something, whenever I read this, I always, you know, really uh, touches my heart and mind and makes me think and rethink. My Allah says, and the Rawz Bilahim Shaitan says, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. أَجَلْتُمْ سِقَايَةَ الْحَاجَ وَإِمَارَةَ الْمَسْجِدِ الْحَرَامِ كَمَنَامَنَ بِاللَّهِ وَالْيَوْمِ الْآخِرِ وَجَاهَدَ فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ Do you think that making these drinks for the hajis and taking care of the two mosques or the sacred mosque in Makkah is equal to those who believe truly and struggle in the path of God? They're not equal in the sight. لا يَسْتَمُونَ عِنْدَ اللَّهِ They're not equal in the sight of Allah. So what is important is truth and justice and help and support by just tidying up the masajid and maintaining them, that's not the whole purpose of it. So I think masajid committees cannot play the victim card over here. They have to be truthful, they have to be honest and open about the fact that yes, the media can attack Islam and because of that, the backlash comes on to the masajid committees as well. But the very fact remains that they are not contributing as they should be for the community and especially when it comes to gender bias and gender-based um, issues. So... Okay. Well, can I, can I respond to that quickly? Yeah. My, my response to that would be very simple. We go back to our deen, and there's a legal mas- a maxim in Islam that says that you do not uh, do good over preventing a harm. I.e., preventing a harm is much better than doing a good, regardless of how good that that may be. So, in a community, there's that culture. Of, you know, we must keep quiet because that's better for our community in large. So, does that mean that when you know women are being g- girls are being sexually abused by their grand teacher that we keep that quiet because it's better for a community no of course not because to prevent that one harm is much yes. better than doing a huge good and this is the same thing women are being oppressed their rights are being taken off them so that's to prevent that harm from happening i rather we not do that good of you know covering up things in our community and making our community look bad yeah yeah that's it's really really important that i think we really have to distinguish between the real victim which is Islam at the hands of media. I've got about four minutes left, so I think it would be good if I maybe could go down to you one minute at a time and just to maybe give you a message that you want the community to hear. Is there anyone that would like to start us off? Yeah, Dr. Afan, a minute. Okay, okay. So uh, the, the, the only thing that I would say is that we see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has mentioned to us that the moment the believing men and the believing women are awliya, they are. Awliya is friends, 
helpers, supporters of one another. And we have to be the, exactly the same. We have to exemplify that. that we help and support each other. This is how the Quran has viewed the relationship between the believing men and the believing women. That we have to come together. We have to come together for goodness and to try and pre prevent badness in our communities. And the only way to do that is and in fact, the best way to do that is to have the masajid as our centers, which Allah has provided us already with, and to, to work together and to, to build the community up in the best possible way. So that the wider community, when they look at Islam, because that's a huge part, a huge part of us being Muslims in this country is to do dawah. So when they look at our masajid, they get attracted to Islam and they accept it. I think my, my main point would be that our mosques should be community centers, centers so they're, they're a place of worship, but more than that. So every mosque should be looking at their local community and the needs that our, their community has for a place of worship, but what other social needs do they have? Um, so every, every mosque has that responsibility to look after its congregation and their community. And from the point of view from, of the public, um, I think for, you know, you need to stand up for your rights. If the authority isn't giving you your rights, your due rights, then you need to stand up and speak up against it. So if there are issues in your local mosque, tell, tell people in, in the, in authority what those issues are and demand for them to be changed because the mosque is a service to you, not the other way around. So that, that is your place of worship. That is your community center. So access the, the right people to speak to and make those changes. And we have our, our voices are more powerful than we realize. And there's a, and there's power numbers. And that includes, like Samina said, not just women, but get your get the men allies on board as well. And as a, as a community, we can make those changes. And I do, I am very positive about it. I think there's great work being done in our communities right now. There's some amazing mosques like Airdrie and Zial Grand that are championing women. So we just need to amplify them, champion them, and continue the work, inshallah. Um, so I would probably say that when thinking about mosques and women's spaces, for anybody that's kind of... Um still kind of on the fence around it it'd be about who who are we denying a connection with our lord you know when you want like women are wanting to access young people want to access the mosque um and thinking about how many people have been turned away and therefore what effect that's also had in terms of them and their their understanding of their faith as well uh want to go back to a point that dr vanden said you know when he, he referred to the people that don't allow you know, when you don't allow women into mosques around, I think the word was used, Alimon, um, it's an act of tyranny. Um, so thinking about that when you're preventing women entering the mosque, uh, the masajid, and thinking about what was it like at the time of our prophet, peace be upon him, and what should we aspire to if, we're, if that is the point that we're reflecting on, that this is what we want it to be like. So encouraging not just women, but men, our community or young people as well, just to um, organize and rise and ensure this change happens for future generations. Jazakallah khair. Um, just want to thank you, uh, say thanks to all of my guests. Um, and we've had a, a good productive show, inshallah. Hopefully um, when this goes out, uh, along with the, sh the show, it will be a podcast and we'll also have um, a roadmap of what we've discussed that will go out. So later on, inshallah, we can look back at that. So, inshallah, jazakallah khair uh, to everyone and assalamu alaikum. Thank you.
for more information and to listen to more podcasts, visit us at arc.score or check out the Arc Media app.